This is the Past is Here podcast, launching on September 12th, 2018, and I'm your host, Scott Hudson Riley. For the last five years, I've been working within the home healthcare field, mostly with senior citizens or older adults. It's because of this experience that this podcast has come into being. I've heard story after amazing story of people who have lived rich, incredible lives. Now, they may not be known to the greater world, but they are known to their individual communities. You see, every day, oral history is disappearing. A sense of what your present community was like 40, 50, 60 years ago. Now, these keepers of knowledge, these keepers of experiences, are a wealth of stories and a wealth of wisdom. This podcast wants to honor those people and share their experiences. So our first guest is Alex, who grew up in the Niagara region in Ontario, Canada. I would also like to mention that this interview ends rather abruptly because my recording equipment ran out of power. I would also like to thank Brian Scoville for his technical support, Dan Gorman for his moral and technical support as well, and Katie Jensen for being wonderful and responding to questions that I had for her. And now on to the interview. How are you today, Alex? Fine. Great. Um, I guess I wanted to start off the uh, sort of your first question was, um, where is it that you grew up? Well, I grew up in Niagara Lake. Uh, Niagara Lake, if you've been around, is you got the main town there, and then you have the villages of St. David's, Queenston, uh, Virgil, uh, and then basically there is, I grew up on a farm at what we call the Outback. <laughs> All right. uh, I went to school there in Virgil there, Virgil Public School, um, and uh, like from grade, up till grade four. Uh, that's when I got sick. I got rheumatic fever. Oh. And uh, at, at the only treatment at that time was strictly bed rest and an aspirin every four hours. In hindsight, that was probably the best treatment they could have given me. Really? Uh, right. Um, that prevented a lot of heart damage that most rheumatic uh, fever victims suffer. So m- mine was minimal because of that. And I caught it within a day or so after I caught rheumatic fever. And then my mother transferred me to um, Catholic school that was starting up at St. Alfred's. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was grade five, six, seven, and eight. And I've always wished there had I'd stayed in Virgil. Well, I hate to say it, but the Catholic school sucked. <laughs> it um, wasn't really that we had teachers there that were they drafted there maybe one woman there because she was a retired geologist and uh, all day long she just told stories about her adventures up north. Oh really? Okay. You know, and, what, and, which was interesting but it really didn't teach you anything. Didn't teach you anything, okay. Actually the best teacher at that time I had was a nun. Was it really? Okay. Oh, she, she was great. Uh, the other thing too there is when I started uh, Virgil Public School, I didn't speak a word of English. What uh, what language was it? That I, you spoke? I spoke uh, German. 
Polish and Ukrainian, three languages. And the reason I spoke German is um, I was, my grandparents were taking care of me and we lived next door to a German family. Oh, okay. So when you're young, you play, and this is where I picked it up. And the reason my grandparents there is that my dad hit a little girl in an accident and he lost the court case. Oh. So mom and dad had to go to work uh, to pay off the judgment. Oh my goodness, okay. So all the grandparents there, and this is where I learned uh, little or no English. So it was, I still vaguely remember the teacher asking uh, the boy next to me who spoke German and English <laughs> and that he would speak to me they were German and I would answer the translator. Um, what, what was it that said, you said you grew up in a farming family, what was it that, uh, what was the main, was there a main item that was farmed? Right? Well, well, with the grandparents there, my granddad there is, uh, I remember the uh, the barn, I remember the Clydesdales. The Clydesdales, okay. Beautiful, I, I remember that. I remember the geese, I was scared of them because they bit, <laughs> right? Uh, I... I have pictures of uh, my first dog, Barney, but I really don't remember that too well. What type of dog was he? Mixed breed. Mixed breed, yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, I had odd, odd memory. I remember going out with Granddad and Dad. They went out and split wood there, and they, they let me carry the axe. Okay. And I lifted it up to put it over the shoulder, and the head fell off. Oh, and hit me right in the right in the square. Of the I, I still have the groove. Oh my God! Where it okay. went in. I remember there the uh, they had peaches, and the, you know the dirt road like that. And I was with Dad there, and of course you know he's always when he's backing up, he's got the door open looking. So I had to do the same thing, and I fell out. <laughs> I remember that. Of a moving tractor. Oh. Uh, uh, not that much, because uh, mostly there, they, a lot of it was done horses. Oh, okay. I, I can remember. <laughs> and I actually, it's funny, I'm, maybe it was only about two or three. I can remember they were put to feel the tomatoes out. And of course, I was out helping. And I remember giving them to my grandmother. And when she turned back, all I was pulling the tomatoes, she fried it and brushing up again. <laughs> <laughs> That's you know, awesome. so, <laughs> okay, what, what else? And, and the peach orchard, and the, and the peach orchard there, which is, I still remember there was nice, and in the center of it there was an old well. Okay. And it was surrounded with lilacs. Wow. And I remember that clearly. Mother's side of the family, the Empire Loyalists. Okay. Okay. So basically, there her ancestors there would would probably went into the United States prior to the uh, Revolutionary War. Okay. Father was, he was in the Army. Uh, he was an officer. Mm -hmm. uh, his expertise there was in explosives and demolitions. All right. Um, he came here to Canada there. Basically, he deserted. Mm -hmm. from, the, from Russia there, he ended up in France. And from France, Eventually, there he took the boat there and came into uh, to Toronto, and there were a couple of people that he knew, and um, um, 
kind of settled in and then you got used to it there and then that was they're like more like sponsors mm -hmm. now this gem, this grandfather of mine spoke five languages wow okay okay so he, he wasn't a dumb guy. and from, from one of the little bits of here and there I got out of him there that his his family there were quite very well to do mm -hmm. unfortunately the, the structure set up there is the eldest son got everything inherited oh. um, the same thing my grandmother's family there you know they have large families is again the oldest son inherits everything so they're you're you're talking they were wealthy landowners sure, sure. Um, both families were wiped out in World War two mm. as far as we know okay so my grandfather and grandmother were it of the two and you're talking with uncles and aunts and cousins and everything else on both sides, you're talking three or four hundred people. And sorry, was your grandmother Russian as well? Or? Well, they're Ukrainian. Oh, Ukrainian, pardon me. Okay, okay. but, but the, that was part of Russia. Russia, U yeah. Ukrainian. Okay. Okay. And the reason granddad left is he saw the revolution coming. Really? Okay. He, yeah, he was smart enough. He says there, and he said there, there's going to be a lot of people who are going to die. I'm getting out. And this is why he immigrated. Um, he had a we ended up there and that's 1911 1914 the war started <laughs> uh, he went to volunteer for the Canadian Army and basically he was told there's enough uh, Canadian boys there we don't need you <laughs> wow okay you know, they, I mean at that time there he spoke broken English uh, <clears throat> and uh, could make himself understood and he could understand so he ended up working it for uh, the steel mills in Hamilton. Okay. So all during the war, he was a lot of times he was doing double shifts, which is like 16, 18 hours for a day. Well, when the war ended, um, the money that they saved, and then my grandmother was like a house cleaner or cleaning houses there for uh, the Forest Hill people, rich people. They took the money and they bought a big ranch in uh, Alberta. Oh, okay. And far of what that said, it was quite large. Now, the other expertise he had there is he trained horses. So if you've seen a match pair of Clydesdale, well, that that was what he trained. So he would team uh, train a team of four, because at that time, mostly everything was done by horses. Sure. So he would he would select and train a team of four to pull, let's say, a combine or the plow or whatever it is, or he could train a team of six. You know, and that was it. And then the drought hit, and basically when he ran out of water, I think Dad said he had a hundred horses, and he just took them through all the different to places that had water. Mm -hmm. And it says here, I can't take care of them. They're yours. Whoa. Wow. Well, okay. nobody, what, you remember, you're already in the depression. Sure. We had no money. Yeah. So he just gave them the way. And, uh, and he said they're with a little bit of money there. They shut the house up and uh, took the train and went back to Toronto. Wow. Wow. You know, couldn't make a living. Sure. And I just left everything. He says, well, whoever wants it, it's yours. 
Yeah. <coughs> so, and that, that's that's about the history of it there, and then, uh, and the reason we he come down to the uh, the farm here and there, he had loaned money to somebody to buy the farm, and then the guy couldn't do the mortgage, and he says, "Here, I'm walking away." Um, in fact, he's the guy walked away, and one bought another farm cheaper and bigger and better than what he had. Uh, so my granddaughter's grandfather said there, well, I have to somehow keep of it or I'm going to lose it. Sure. And the only thing that, that and he said that's funny, during the Depression, and the only thing that paid the bank loan and the taxes, he had a one-quarter acre of asparagus. And he says, that, he says, and I sold for top buck, and that carried the mortgage, the taxes, and some spending money. Asparagus, did. Asparagus. And he says, we used to, when it's crop is like for six or eight weeks, mm -hmm. we'd be starting at three o'clock in the morning, picking them, then taking the wagon there to Niagara Lake, yeah. and then there was like a boat going to Toronto, like produce, and putting it on the boats, mm -hmm. and he said, God, and it would go to the restaurants and everything else, and no problem. And he says, I had apples and peaches and apricots. I couldn't give them away. Really? But the asparagus was the, the asparagus, which was a luxury they could get. Um, and the other thing, when you were younger, I was going to bring up changing gears a bit. I was going to say, when you were growing up, do you remember the name? Like, I'm going to ask you a couple of things. Do you remember, did you used to go to a bakery? Like, was there a local bakery Yeah, you would go to, like, the local stores? Do you remember their names or anything like that at all? Like, was it in Virgil where you'd get your bread and groceries? Actually, actually, no. My mother got her bread, all the groceries. She used to drive to, let's say, AMPs or Dominions or whatever. Okay. And basically get everything there. Okay. Okay. Now, when I was staying at the weekend at my grandmother's on Facer Street. Okay. Or Alberta on Facer. Yeah. I go to the end there to the Fraser Street, cross the road. And this, this is in St. Catharines, right? This is St. Catharines. Okay. St. Joseph's Bakery. Okay. And Saturday morning, sometimes I get up in the morning, this is 7 o'clock going, and the rye bread would just come out of the oven. Oh, wow. You could smell it going down the street. <laughs> sure. We go in there, pick up a couple of loaves of dry bread, and it was still hot, and walk back. It only take us five minutes. And as soon as you get in there, cut sucks up, slap the butter on, and warmed her. Oh, it was good. I still remember that. No, and I can't remember. Was that, was that when uh, St. Catharines had actual streetcar? Did it not? Did it have yes. a streetcar? It did. And wh where did it run to? Like, well, was it St. Paul's or no? Well, what was the Um. Yeah, you had St. Paul's Street. I vaguely remember taking a streetcar to Queenston. To Queenston, oh, okay. Okay, they were going through the country. Mm -hmm. uh, you could take the streetcar going to Welland. Oh, wow, to, to Welland? They went all the way to Welland? Okay. Yeah, Welland and Port Colbert. Incredible, okay. I didn't realize Okay, that. and I was in <clears throat> shortly after that. And I think there is, I'm, I'm thinking it's 1948. <laughs> for some reason there, they decided while the Wigger car and they, that's when they got rid of the streetcar and wrapped up the tracks. Crazy. That's okay. That, now, no, and when you were getting a little bit older, 
I mean, when you used to go out with, with your buddies, would you go out to like bars in Niagara Falls, or would you do St. Catharines, or would you ever go across the river to the States, or what? We, what? Ne we never went to the, the bars. It was always, if, if it was older like that, it was always across the river. It was always across That's the river. That's where all the action was. Was it really Niagara Falls, New York, you mean? Yeah, yeah well, okay. Niagara Falls, New York, yeah, or Buffalo. <clears throat> or Buffalo, okay. You, you, go, you go on Friday night and Saturday night. It was probably 60% Canadian over there. Was it really? Yeah. No way. Uh, you got like the bars now, like in St. Catharines and uh, St. Paul Street? Yeah. They didn't exist. Right. Okay. There was, there. I mean, I think you had two two little small restaurants. Mm -hmm. I mean, you had Simpson Sears, you had Eaton's, uh, Herzog Brothers, uh, the, the grocery. Uh, you had the, um, you had five theaters. Five movie theaters. Actually. Five movie theaters. This was in St. Catharines, you're talking about. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, I, uh, I, I, and I remember there was this. I'm trying to bring it up. If you, um, there was a story you told me about. I think you told me was it your mom? Um, during during the war, did she? She used to get. Um, uh, she used to be a waitress, right? And she used to get. And what did she ever use the? You told me a story about they used to get bottles of whiskey. And what, what was the story with that? Um, she used to get bottles of whiskey as a, as a tip. Is that right? From yeah. the soldiers? Okay. Well, well, the Americans. The Americans. That's what. Okay. 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 Remember, uh, 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 whiskey that, and, and, uh, and tires and everything in Canada was rationed. It was rationed. So everything was it rationed. It was not rationed in the United States. Okay. So basically there, the Americans there is uh, especially there the officers uh and, the, and where she worked was a chinese restaurant okay so they would have a private par uh, party let's say saturday night okay they have their girls and the, whatever it is so she's the waitress there and then you, i think the owner was lee okay all right so he'd be cooking up a storm and she'd be running around serving them their, their chinese food and everything else okay at the end of the night there is they would uh, they would leave a tip there, and and she would tell prefer that uh, she would like to have a couple of bottles rather than rather than the money. And basically, she told them, "There's no sense in giving money because it won't buy half the stuff. It's rationed. Oh, right. Okay. You can give me a hundred dollars. I can't buy steak or this or that or booze or anything." No matter how much money I got. Oh, okay. So, here's a couple bottles. That's it. Dad didn't drink. Oh, okay. My mother there very, once in a while. I, I, I've never seen her, but they said she could drink like a horse. <laughs> right, okay. But she's Irish. Mm -hmm. But she didn't drink either. He put it away. And I still remember <clears throat> Dad there going there to uh, my, my uncle. Mm -hmm. And... Um, he wanted four tires for the pickup truck. Mm -hmm. And he says, I can't give them to you. And there's a waiting list. You'll have to, there I can put you on the waiting list. Uh, he said, what I got now, they're going, oh, they need four tires. Well, he says, be lucky there to get it in eight or nine months. Oh my goodness, okay. Because everything else there was going to over, well, being sunk in the Atlantic, going over. Oh, sure. And uh, this is okay. And he pulled out a 40 ounce of this. Or there, well, and he pulled out another bottle and says, 
I'll see what I could do. <laughs> Next day, he had his four times. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Because, like, vodka and dry whiskey and <laughs> bourbon were difficult or impossible to get. Okay. So they used that as, as a sort of incentive. Okay. Still, still had to get your ration card. Yeah. But instead of being in the back of the line, you were right now in the right front in the of the front line. because of the whiskey. That, and and where, would a lot of Americans come over here and 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 drink as well? I guess and have fun. I guess these these Americans were in the army camp. Oh, okay. They were training there to go overseas. Mm. This is before America. There was uh, um, got into the war after Pearl Harbor. Right. You're looking at thirty nine. 40 and 41. Right. Okay. Remember, it was December the 7th uh, uh, in 1941 before America declared war against Japan. That's right. Okay. All right. Yeah, yeah. Now, the only thing here <clears throat> is um, the United States did not declare war against Germany. Right. Okay. That's Hitler declared war against the United States. But uh, that's. That's another thing that still can't understand why he did that. Yeah, why he did that? But okay, well that's um, yeah. But a lot of the a lot of these Americans there when they were in the camp, mm -hmm. uh, they were they were actually joining the British Army. Were they really? Or or, or or there's a lot of Americans that joined the RAF. Did they really? Oh, yes. wow, I didn't realize that. That was their chance there to to get into the war. Because it was a they thing. didn't think the United States <clears throat> would get in, so they they were fighting fascism. So. They were, so they were. They had to leave uh, the United States to get their training, and that's where the the camp there. Wow, I, I didn't realize that. And where was the camp? Was it in uh, Niagara Falls or something? You know Catholics? where the Niagara Lake. There was in Niagara in the Lake. You know, you know the Commons. The Commons. I don't. Uh, where okay. is the Commons, sir? Fort George. <clears throat> Fort George. Okay, okay, you got your Parkway going. Okay, and then you got on uh, as you're going heading uh, south, mm -hmm. and then the great, that great big big field. Mm -hmm to the right, and, um, and you go back there and you have the um, uh, land there beside the uh, the legion there and everything else, mm -hmm. uh, that was called the commons, okay. huge there, okay. and that was one huge camp. Mm. Okay. All right? Uh, the couple buildings there were our remnants of, of what's left, and the rest of it, but that was you probably had fifty or sixty thousand men in their training. Whoa! Wow! I didn't realize that. You got to remember, Canada was in the middle of the war. We, uh, population-wise, we probably sent over a million men. Men and women, right? Yeah, wasn't it? Or well, the women there probably there were primarily nurses. Nurses, right? Fair and enough. the other the other thing too there was the Nagata, is you had a whole group that be Americans and Canadian and British women. Is you had pilots, right? That uh, were um, uh, as the planes were being built, would ferry the pilots or the planes to England. Oh, right, right, right. right. Okay. Um, St. Catherine had a um, God, I forget what aircraft company there were making the mosquito uh, fighter bomber. Were they really? Oh, in St. Catherine's? Yes. Were they really? Oh. I actually, uh, when I was working at the library, part time, their head uh, janitor, whatever it is. Uh, his trade was a carpenter, and we got talking, and he worked the um, for the, the the aircraft company, and he was a supervisor, <coughs> su supervising ladies that were some of uh, the, uh, the the fighter bombers that was made out of plywood. Oh wow! Okay. 
the whole plane is out of plywood. Incredible. I had no idea. That's amazing. Okay. okay. And technically there, it was the fastest plane that the Allies had. The it Mosquito. Was, you're saying. The Mosquito bomb, nice. fighter bomber okay. was, is, was fast. There, there wasn't a fighter that could catch it. Incredible. Okay. Okay. And uh, how many, do you know how many people it could hold? Do you remember? Or no? Two. It was, it was two person. Okay. There, there was the pilot and the navigator. Wow. Okay. Um, and I'm trying to think, no, I remember, I remember you told me your, your dad, cause your dad became a journeyman, correct? Yes. And now, but he never, and he worked for, what was the companies he worked for? English Electric. Okay. And, and, and what sort of, what was he building for English Electric? At that time during the war there, it would depend, but probably during the war, they were machining there for the, uh, uh Merlin Rolls Royce engines. Oh, okay. And what were those engines used for? Uh, fighters. Fighters, okay. There they were put in Mustangs. Oh. They were put into the Spitfire. Okay. They were put in the Mosquito Bomber. Okay. And the Lancaster. And this was in, in St. Catharines or Niagara Falls? Sorry. St. Catharines. It was in St. Catharines. English Electric. Okay. All right. I mean, you got to remember, they were making those engines in um, England. Mm -hmm. They were in, uh, in St. Catharines. I think English Electric in St. Catharines was a prime production there. Of the um, uh, the Merlin engine, I think it's a was a fourteen cylinder. Oh, okay. Straight line. Oh, wow. And you you know you figure on too is uh, when the Americans built the uh, the Mustang, they had the um, okay. God, what the company there they were making the the engine for, but their engine only had like sixteen hundred horsepower. Uh, the Rolls-Royce, the Merlin engine, uh, had 2,300. Wow, considerably. Well, considerably. But it's the same <coughs> amount of cylinders. Um, and that, basically, you had, you had a fighter that was night and day. Mm -hmm. All right? Um, you figure on the Lancaster had four Merlin engines. Mm -hmm. So that was the... It, it, the, the speed there probably was 75 miles an hour, 70. faster than the B-17. Incredible. Okay. And I, I, I'm <clears throat> trying to remember when your dad was out of school, he had a choice of either, didn't he have a choice of either doing, he, he was being courted by GM or he could have, or he chose to, to work for GM. What was his journey with that one? Oh, then when English, okay, English Electric back, that was back in the... Um, 59 or 60. Okay. Yeah. They packed up there and they bought a, a leftover. The government built a big plant in, in Toronto. In Toronto, okay. okay. Which cost them 22 million, I think. Wow. Okay. Well, they picked it up for something like $3 million. Incredible. Brand new. Yeah. And basically, they were sho shoving all their production in, to Toronto. Mm -hmm. So they took some of the upper management. Uh, some of the engineers and a few of the select staff, uh, everybody else are laid off. Mm -hmm. He says, "Well, you, you're, yeah, you're. We're terminating your employment because we're moving." Uh, their assumption was, when we move to Toronto, we can get all the uh, machinists and skilled trades we want. Right. All right. <clears throat> uh, which didn't happen. Oh, it didn't happen. Okay. For example. My dad there was ran the horizontal boring mill. Okay. Now, if you know that is a horizontal boring mill, it's a huge machine and it has a big um, circular uh, bed spot there, 
and it's 50 feet across. 50 feet across. Okay. Huge. Yeah. Okay. You got the thing there. You're on a big platform, like 10, 15 feet, like a control board. He took me there. Just wrap right around. And what they would do would be machining the um, the routers and the casing for the hydros. Oh, okay. The generators. The generators. Because okay. they were also a main manufacturer of generators, okay. big and small. And that was his job. And sometimes they machine a router or something else, it would uh, a one part for it. Using that thing, it might take him a week. To bore one? one well, to, to machine it. To machine it. Specification. Uh, his specifications were one one thousandth of an inch. Really? Like it, it was like a hundredth of a less than a human hair. Incredible. You know, the top. Because remember, there is, as when these things are put together, they're going several hundred thousand revolutions per, per minute. Mm -hmm. So they, they, they got to be exact. Sure. And, uh, well, when they, they moved that, all that equipment to Toronto, they couldn't find anybody to run it. Really? Okay. There was no, nobody. I'd say he, he'd been actually there is, who the guy that before that was going to retire, so he trained my dad. Okay. It, it, it took him a year to really get it down pat. And then, he, then that's all he did there at nighttime for the, the last ten years. He ran. He did ran the boring machines. And the, the, yeah. And then was it was English electric? Were they the ones that trained him to be a journeyman, or was it? Uh, yes, it was. Okay. During the war, see, he when the, the war started, he volunteered for the army, the navy, and the Royal Canadian Air Force. Well, they turned him down because he had an ulcer. Oh. He was declared 4F. Okay. And basically, the third time, they said, don't waste our time and your time uh, volunteering because nobody's going to take you. So they said, why don't you go into war work? <laughs> I mean, he was like 19 years old. Okay. Now, all those friends are going to the Army or the Royal Canadian Air Force or in the Navy. So he went to English Electric, and he was trained to as a machine operator. This machine operator. Okay. Well, after, first six months later, he said, "There, does anybody interested in uh, learning the trade of being a machinist?" Now, remember, at the, being a machine operator, he was making twenty-five dollars a week. Twenty-five. Okay. Now, and was that a good wage at the time? At that time, no? that was pretty good. That was good. Okay. So, okay, you're on apprenticeship. Now he's dropped down to fifteen. Oh wow! Okay, okay, almost like like, like almost a half, uh, and that kind of hurt. But he, he figured out the war's only going to last for so long, and when it's finished, I'll have a trade. Yeah, and that that's kind of going to school and part time, and uh, working machine, and you had machinists there training. So that's what he did all during the war, and a journey machinist. You're an expert in seven or more machines. Really? Okay. Oh yeah. That's you know, and then, so then after the war, he was certified, and then his pay probably went. Well, my mother actually pushed him to get the certificate, and she says, no, get the certification. Mm -hmm. Okay, I think there, when he got, and it depending, there's different levels. I think he was an expert in like 14 different types of machines. Incredible. All right, so he got the certification. So, but she pushed him, otherwise he wouldn't have been, he wouldn't have bothered. It required a bit of work, a little bit of studying, and then you had to go for tests and everything else. Um, but she pushed him, mm -hmm. and she tagged him. 
So he wouldn't got it. Now when they looked like they packed it up there, is a couple weeks afterwards, they they called him down. Would you like to work there? He used to commute there uh, on Monday morning, go yeah. to work. Uh, he rented a room, stayed there all week, and then come home on the weekend. Did he really? Oh. He did that for six months, and he says, that's it, I've had it. Sure. Okay, and, and he says, find somebody there, because I can't do this. And he wasn't willing, by that time, the farm was going. Okay. And I remember there when he, then he was out of work for a couple months. But he did get a job offer from uh, NASA. NASA. From NASA? They wanted a machinist. Really? Okay. And he turned that one down. Hmm. Because I, he says they're gonna get up, move, and we gotta sell the farm, and all that. I just act with it. So he, he turned that one down, and he ended up there going for Ohio Brass. Okay. So and and what did Ohio Brass make? What did they do? Uh, the uh, bucket trucks. Bucket trucks. So like, are you talking about like hydro? Yeah, those those type of trucks. Bell, okay. Uh, Davy Tree Company, Bell Telephone. Yeah. I can remember at work and do when he started making it. He took me to her. It showed me how it was done and everything. Oh, oh, yeah. And I go back to work, and the, the guys in the tree department, and we were still throwing the rope up like that and chimmy up the rope. And I mentioned the, the bucket trucks. You could do more work. They got all the hydraulics. It's a lot safer. Oh, the damage long. I said, gee, Hydro's using them. Baltelbo's using them. Davy Tree Company's using them. I said, a lot of the cities are using them. I don't think I there. I don't think I've seen any Amazons. And uh, I must have argued for five or six years. Did you really? Okay. Yeah. Then, the, then the guys in the tree department were getting them. And you only got so many years. Mm -hmm. It's a young man's game. Oh sure, especially the drum. Well, when when you hit your late thirties, yeah, uh, <clears throat> you got bursitis in the shoulders, in the back. You can. They couldn't do all this scaling and climbing and everything like they used to. Mm -hmm. Well, I had, um, oh, uh, Peter there, uh, uh, me, next job, we've got a job opening as a janitor. Why don't you apply for that? So we have an opening for a younger guy. Well, Peter, well, what does it pay? Oh, well, $12 an hour. I'm making 22 and you're telling me you go for a 12 hour <laughs> He says, you can stick it in your ass. Yeah. So, well, well, they're not going to pay Peter to do a janitorial job there for $22 an hour. Yeah. Then the rest of the janitors will be bitching. So the finally there, and I, I kind of mentioned that there. I said, well, why don't you go check with these people? Next thing I know, they had a bucket truck. Really? That's and I can remember there, the foreman there, Lawrence, he says, we should have done this 20 years ago. <laughs> I says, I told you guys. I told you guys the bucket. Yeah. No, and uh, and I uh, used to um, the, when you're talking about do, doing the tree pruning, you used to go over the side of the cliffs uh, to prune some of the trees, right? Like, mm, oh yeah. And then we're talking; it's a hundred foot, two hundred foot drop. Three hundred and forty feet. Three hundred and forty feet, and you used to scale this basically the, the sheer rock bed, the, the granite. Well, actually, what was there? That yeah. You had the wall, and you had sections there. Yeah. Were probably eighteen or twenty inches there with with the. Um, uh, okay, weeds, debris, sure. Um, weeds and everything else to kind of clean that up. And then, of course, then you had areas that expanded, would be like as big as this kitchen there, mm -hmm. to clean that up. And you just had a rope around your waist. <laughs> and uh, and th that went on for a number of years, and you had a safety man there. 
and he had it wrapped around the uh, the railing there, and the guy would be smoking a <laughs> cigarette, really sick there. And if anyway, uh, somebody there from the uh, workman's compensation shows up, like a safety officer, and he's looking there. He says, "Where are your safety lanyards? Safety line? What's that? What? You don't know what a safety lanyard is?" And he's looking at son. Do you realize that you slipped and fell? And then with the slack in there, you go in there and then that rope stopped you from going. That'll snap your back in two, like that. No? Oh, nobody told you that? Do you have any safety liners? And I don't even know what it is. Well, he took off. Next thing I know there, there's Mr. Dalby, there's the coordinator, there's the general foreman. Next thing out, get over the back of the wall. Then, we have to get some safety liners. <laughs> Gee, okay. So that's what they went there and they got safety liners. And then, of course, we had to go in and two hour lecture on a safety liner, why it is, the reason, all that. Okay. Now you got special harnesses, you get, oh, oh, okay. But on the, uh, a lot of times, too, they, what most people don't realize, when you had this whole section over, yeah, it was like an overhang, and it was all undercut. Oh, was it really? And I had one of the crew there going like with a side cutting, and he's walking along, and all of a sudden, whoosh! <laughs> he, he's just like yes, he's up into the ground. Felix, what are you doing? He says, I don't know. <laughs> he says, but I don't feel nothing under me. <laughs> so we definitely went over. We pulled him up. And I looked down the hole, and I could see the river. I said, get off there. Get, this is overhanging. If this thing goes, you're dead. <laughs> you're dead. Oh, my God. It was all undercut. That's terrifying. Okay. No.